Hello, loves. Welcome to the Live Your Freedom Now podcast. I'm Megan Colleen Johnson, and this podcast is dedicated to discussing dominant cultural narratives and beliefs, what I call dominant dogma, how this keeps you from thriving in life and business, and how to overcome that dogma by living your freedom now. While this path sounds clean and straightforward, the truth is life and being human is messy. So around here, we value the both and. We'll hold space for where you're at and honor the freedom you'd like to see and feel within yourself. Hit subscribe to stay updated. And for more information about me, my work, and to download my free Claim Your Freedom Now journal guide and ecotherapy meditation, head to megscolleen.com. That's M-E-G-S-C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com. Hello, hello, free thinker. Welcome to this episode of the Live Your Freedom Now podcast. As a heads up, you are tuning in during a time, the months of November and December 2022, when I have decided to take a break from writing for the podcast. That said, this episode is a replay of a past episode, so you may hear invitations into programs and freebies that are no longer available on my site. So in this brief introduction, I wanted to let you know what is available right now. I have two things available on my site for you. The first is a free ecotherapy meditation, and the second is I am accepting one-on-one coaching clients right now. You can access and learn more about these two things at my website, megscolleen.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode replay. As always, freedom is yours. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to an episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm so excited to be just having a guest on the podcast today. So this is the first time having a guest on this iteration of my podcast, and I think it'll be really fun and really beautiful. So I always like to start just with what's around me and kind of just settle into the space together before we have a conversation. So I'm recording from my office. I'm in my green velvet office chair. I have a blanket on top of me, even though it's 80 degrees out right now. Our home has kind of maintained coolness inside. So I'm feeling a little chilly and have a blanket. And then I've got a candle. Usually my dog's in the room with me, but he's actually just out and about with my husband. And so he's not here. So we have quiet today and just a good space for conversation. So that's where I'm coming from today. For folks who are listening, I always love to encourage you to do the same. So just notice what's around you, notice the textures, notice where there might be sun shining through, notice how you're just kind of sitting in your chair, perhaps the texture is touching you in your seat or on the floor, and just become really present in this moment. Today, our guest, Thais Sky, we're kind of wrapping up June together. And so we're going to be chatting about the worthiness wound. And so as we've been talking about earning your belonging, worthiness tends to be the narrative underneath that. And so I'm really excited to just kind of explore this a little bit more and see what comes up as we go. So just to introduce Thais, Thais is a psychotherapist and writer on a heart-led mission to support the seekers, the edge dwellers, and the why the heck do I feel so broken of the world, reclaim their sense of worth by learning how to explore, trust, and express themselves. Through her programs, podcast Reclaim, and work with individuals and couples, Thais is guided by the belief that when we know who we are, we become more free. She holds a master's in clinical psychology and helms a therapy practice in Los Angeles. You can learn more about her at IamThaisSky.com and just about everywhere on social media at IamThaisSky. So, Thais, thank you so much for joining me today. I can't remember the last time someone read my bio <laughs> in my <laughs> presence. 
it's always a little bit of an awkward experience but thank you for the totally (laughs) yeah especially as we can see each other I know I'm only going to be using the video for a portion of this but as we're what like I'm just reading this out loud and you're just kind of watching me so I'm just receiving (laughs) there you go (laughs) I love it um so I would love for you to just kind of share as well just like where you're recording from maybe some of your environment yeah I'm in Los Angeles California in my home office uh, and I have a little doggy bed next to my armchair where my little 10 pound dog Chewy gets to rest and he's snoozing right now living his best life so I'm just yeah I'm talking about you he looks at me um, so I'm just really aware of his little presence next to me and it's kind of a gray day which doesn't happen often in LA so it feels a little more subdued today a little like uh, cozy um, yeah bringing in a good vibe I love that I love that yeah sometimes cloudy days can be just comforting in a way Well, I mean, I think it really depends on where you are in the world, Uh, Mm -hmm. but because we get sunshine so often that when we don't, it's it's like a nice little reprieve, but that's the privilege of living in Southern California. Totally. Yeah, I know. So I'm in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. That's where I'm recording from. Mm, Much different. Very different. Yeah, we've had a couple good weeks of mostly sunshine now. But before that, I think the statistic was out of 42 days, 41 of them were cloudy. And we finally Mm. like went one sunny day. So it's like, oh, we have sunshine. Thank goodness. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. So you get it. It's a totally different experience when you are really deprived of the sun. Mm -hmm, 100%. Yeah, so... I'd love to just hear a little bit of like your story. And I know a lot of your work, at least from what I see online, it does relate to the worthiness wound. And so I'd love to hear kind of what brought you to that place. And if there's any stories that you had to kind of overcome to get where you are. Sure. Well, I started really, I mean, don't we all start from birth, but, but I started in in college when I developed an eating disorder that really shook me to my core I couldn't didn't make sense I didn't understand where it was coming from I thought I had a pretty average upbringing a loving home I had you know clothes and food and didn't really understand why I was suddenly starving myself or binging and going through the whole process of my eating disorder but that was a a wake-up call in some ways to start to pay attention to what's happening in my internal world. Uh, And so as I began what I call my healing journey or just the exploration of the inside and in ways which as we tend to what happens inside, we start to change and shift what happens on the outside. I started to rub up against this chronic state of inadequacy, which doesn't just mean that I didn't feel good enough, but also in ways that I felt too much, that I was too loud, too opinionated, uh, too boisterous, too, etc. And at the same time, I also felt so inadequate. I'm not smart enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not etc. enough. And this was really interesting because I couldn't really find anything in any of the books, you know, in self-development and psychology, uh, philosophy. I wasn't really finding any answers specifically to address this. There, there's a lot of, you know, ideas in self-help that worth is important. It's good to, you know, they talk about self-worth, self-confidence, mm-hmm. self-esteem as important metrics for uh, a well-lived life, et cetera. But there really wasn't any conversation specifically about what do you do when, you know, I can, I can know that this is important, but, but I don't feel it. And how do I bridge that gap? And so that's when I really started to earnestly uh, research and, and through my clinical work, attempt to understand what is this phenomenon? Why does it exist? um, And how can we begin to tend to it so that, like in my bio, we become more free, like so that it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like we're constantly being held back by our own material, our, you know, our own ways in which we think we cannot or we are too much of. Yeah. Um, okay. So my past has really been informed by in understanding that when we know ourselves and when we become more curious about how 
culture and self intersect, the more we can decide. We have more choice. We have more freedom, more possibility, more options. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I, I feel like it's not something that I've always heard people talk about as well as like, sometimes we just talk about the concept, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. the intellectualization and you're 100% like spot on that there's not a lot of information still. I mean, it, it's become more prominent, but like, what are the next steps then? And what, what does it actually look like to, to take that information and, and actually embody worth? and accept that for ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's where I really struggled with ideas around mantras, affirmations, mindset work. There's a lot in our culture, in the self-development culture specifically, Mm -hmm. that thoughts create your reality. So all you have to do Mm -hmm. is change your thoughts and your reality changes. And I really bought into that. I really believe that. I think there's something so, it, it can feel very empowering to imagine that maybe we're not so stuck uh, but I but I think while that can be true and that there are facets of truth in that I continually rubbed up against well I'm thinking I am worthy and I'm repeating that to myself and mm-hmm. I have a book of affirmations and I wake up and I make gratitude lists and all these things feel really good temporarily But then why is it that when it comes to doing the hard things, when -hmm. it comes to having the difficult conversations, when it comes to, you know, putting myself out there in some way, no affirmation stays, right? Doesn't really land in my nervous system. What's the gap? What do I do? How do I bridge that? Yeah. So this was kind of all something that you started, like it started percolating essentially in your system as you were navigating your own mental health struggles, what kind of came next? Well, so I, this was in college, well, but before the idea of the worthiness, so that was in college, grappling yeah. with an eating disorder, trying to find, I think like many of us do in our late teens, early twenties, um, what we're going to do for the rest of our lives, you know, yeah. no pressure. I was always <laughs> going to figure that out. And, and I studied philosophy. I studied psychology. I studied business. I really wanted to find myself and I couldn't. So when I graduated college, I didn't know what to do. I entered uh, the workforce grappling with figuring out where do I land and I found myself in a yoga class um, Mm -hmm. and that trajectory of my life changed after that point because I was starting to find that this simple movement right this just doing body as you know kind of poses was really changing something very fundamental within me so so I went and I became a yoga teacher and then I moved into um, the world of coaching and became a coach and uh, did that for a decade. Uh, and then that was when I really started to work with people who were grappling with worth and feelings of inadequacy and not belonging. And so that's when my uh, clinical uh, mind started to develop. But then I went to get my master's and become a psychotherapist, all in efforts to continue to understand this phenomenon and also expand what does it mean to to treat it? What does it mean to tend to it? What does it mean Mm -hmm. to heal it? Uh, And that's where you'll find me now. So I'm a psychotherapist. I uh, have a program called Worthy Women Rise, where uh, the, the whole point of the program is to talk about the worthiness wound, and I'm continuing to expand what does it mean? How do you navigate it? What does it look mm-hmm. like? Again, how does it intersect with a culture that has some pretty clear ideas of what is acceptable and not acceptable? And mm-hmm. can you ever find worth in a culture that tells us that you shouldn't be the way you are? You know, that's a real yeah. question that it can be really hard to sit with. You know, if we have identities that go against our culture's expectations or ideas of of what normal look like I mean Mm -hmm. how do you how do you find space to exist within yourself and also a big level a big layer to this work is how do we find ourselves in relationships right Mm -hmm. like how do we find relationships that feel meaningful to us how do we find ourselves feeling uh, a sense of worthiness existing and, and being alive, belonging with other people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so much of most of my work kind of correlates to this concept of 
dominant narratives, dominant dogma mm-hmm. out in the world, which, you know, exactly what you're saying, like we see it in, in magazines that tell us you're not enough by this product to become yeah. enough. And like, yeah. um, I feel like marketing for me. So my background, I started in, in design and marketing mm-hmm. and that I just feel like marketing is so pervasive in pushing narratives. Like that's all it is, is marketing is, is telling you what Absolutely. you like you know, picking at your pain point, letting you know where you're not enough and where you need their stuff to be enough. And it's just like, mm-hmm. that's our, we're surrounded by it on online. We're surrounded by it. You know, when we go to the store, wherever we're at, which I think it's really beautiful as well, just kind of coming like those presencing practices, like we started with, I find those to be helpful in a sense, as well as being in nature, because we actually don't have to be as present in those narratives. But I'm curious what has like in your work with the worthiness wound, how do you see worthiness correlate to belonging? Yes, I tend to find that they're very interwoven. So um, let's back up. So the way that I have yeah. uh, really understood the worthiness wound is that it's a it's an emotional wound. That's why I decided to call it a worthiness wound because mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of um, evoke thoughts of a wounding something that um, exists within us that we can't just kind of band-aid over. Um, but that's, you know, it, it requires attention and it requires thought and presence and healing, et cetera. Uh, and that it is born out of relationships. So it is, you know, human beings are relational beings. We know ourselves mm-hmm. through another. We don't know ourselves independently of others. Um, and as we see ourselves in others, are mirrored by others, are thought of by others, are attuned to by others, we learn who we are. And Mm -hmm. so oftentimes the messaging that we get that we are too much or we are not enough is a reflection of the people around us reflecting that to us, Mm -hmm. essentially giving us spoken or unspoken messages that are conveying these beliefs. Um, Something as simple as saying, stop crying, it's not that big of a deal, right, is a subtle uh, but potent way in which it often doesn't happen just once. It's it's a relational roadmap. It's a way in which we're continually related to that tells us you shouldn't cry. You shouldn't have your internal experience. Whatever you're experiencing, it's too much for this person Mm -hmm. to bear. Which is true, right? That's what that is why they're saying it, because it is too much for them to bear. And so we then learn, oh, that we ourselves are too much or too Mm -hmm. little. We're not, you know, in a little developmental brain, like we're not understanding of like, oh, my dad's really overwhelmed right now with work, you know, we take it in as, oh, no, we are wrong. We are bad. There's something Mm -hmm. wrong with us. And so despite maybe growing in a wonderful environment, your parents may have been so loving, they may have done the best that they can. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're immune to subtle messages that tells us that the ways in which we are is not okay, right? It's Mm -hmm. again, inadequate, too much, et cetera. I think in some ways, how this can get complicated is that it really requires us to think about the context of our lives. For some of us, culture uh, our families is a protective factor against a culture. For example, mm-hmm. if you are raised in a home where everybody in the home is of the same race, then you may be protected against a culture that tells you that there's something you know, wrong with your face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, versus the difference, let's say that you are raised in a hetero, in a heteronormative home. So let's say that your parents are um, uh, straight and you are born, you, right? You grapple with and reconcile with the fact that you're gay, right? Mm-hmm. But your parents are homophobic. Now your family is not a protective factor. It's a risk factor against yeah. developing a, a stronger sense of self, right? So it's not just that culture is homophobic and racist. It is also that there are different factors that can protect us from influencing our sense of self. But of mm-hmm. course, we're not, we can't separate ourselves from culture. We may have the most protective family and then we go into our school environment where now we are reminded or we are being told subtle and not so subtle ways, right? That there's an identity that is wrong or bad, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And now we have to grapple with that. So, you know, the worthiness wound is essentially a wound of belonging. It's telling us that there is something within us that does not belong. Uh, And so healing it requires us to find belonging. And because it is an emotional wound born out of relationships, the way it is healed is through relationships. Mm. It is through finding ways 
that we belong and finding corrective relationships that can teach us how to be in our own belonging as well as being in the belonging with relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. I hadn't put some of those pieces together before myself mm-hmm. in regards to the relationship piece of that, but that seems yeah. so huge to all of that. So I'm, I guess I'm curious first, let me share a little bit of, of my story. Cause I think that might be helpful yeah. as well for, for listeners for myself, I grew up in a very conservative Christian environment, kind of like a mm. high high control religion, evangelical fundamentalist. And since, you know, the past four or five years or so, kind of exited evangelical Christianity and I'm still very spiritual, but no longer identify as Christian. You know, I've handed back the fundamentalism, handed back a lot of the the yeah, fundamentalist beliefs around I um, love that. Handed yeah. back. No, thank you. No, thanks. You can I'm, have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. Um, but in that process, you know, so much of my belonging was tied up in my belief system. I went to a Christian college. It's where I met my husband. Like, I just recently started voice lessons, which has been really fun. But for me growing up, my voice was so tied to singing worship music. And so now Mm. I'm in this place of, okay, well, what is my voice if it's not singing worship music that I no longer agree with and trying to, you know, build those relationships kind of just with myself and my voice, but I'm still very much in the process of building relationships with folks outside of the church uh, because Mm. I was very much surrounded by folks who were all Christians, all in the church, all had the same belief system. I've, you know, found some beautiful pockets of, of humans to surround myself with, but I think it's a, it's a long process. And when you've, you know, spent 25 years of your life in that environment, you know, it takes some time, but in my experience with my clients as well is we all have stuff like that, that we're processing, whether it's church related or, you know, family oriented, you know, beliefs of some kind. And just finding out who we are, I think, as we mm-hmm. kind of go through our 20s and into our 30s, I think so much more of our identity kind of comes to the surface. And I suppose I'm curious, as you see folks navigate their worthy worthiness wound and build relationships, build that belonging that they're searching mm-hmm. for, what does that look like? How do you see folks finding those spaces for themselves that are safe? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think we often get ideas of what relationships are that then go against um, what it means to find belonging in relationships. Because even as I'm hearing you ask me that, I'm already hearing people say, well, isn't that codependency, right? We shouldn't Mm. need other people for our identity, right? We shouldn't get worth from other people. You know, it's a question that I often get. And I think we are in especially the the our western kind of individualistic notions of we shouldn't need people we should be able to be self sufficient and i think what we're missing in that equation is that we actually so desperately do need people uh, and mm-hmm. we need them for our survival uh, as a child biologically speaking emotionally speaking but also now you know mm-hmm. i i'm not self sufficient i yeah. cannot i do not raise my own food you know i need electricity and there's all sorts of ways in which we mm-hmm. need each other even you know, on a physical level, but certainly on an emotional level. We're an level. ecosystem. Like we're, we're all 100%. part of this ecosystem. <laughs> yes. And then we can think about things in terms of like co-regulation. And, you know, when we're talking about being able to self-regulate, what we're mm-hmm. actually talking about is internalizing co-regulation, right? Mm-hmm. It's being able to bring in somebody doing it with us so that we can then learn how to do it alone. And so we yeah. often skip that step. And immediately go to, how can I take care of myself? How can I self-regulate? Because I don't want to need people. And I mm. think that comes from a, being really hurt by our need, by our dependency with other people. It was taken for granted. It was uh, taken advantage of. I mean, it was, you know, denied. It was told that you're too much, right? You, you can't need, you can't depend. Uh, you have to be self-sufficient. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about parentified children and the ways in which we're told that we have to grow up. Uh, before we were developmentally ready. So when we're talking about relationships, this is what we're talking about, negotiating the ways in which we depend and don't depend. How can we be in relationship 
and be our own person within relationship? Where do we lose ourselves in relationship versus how do we uh, hold ourselves but stay attached, stay stay connected? Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book called Schopenhauer's Porcupines, and there's a short little story at the beginning of the book that is inspiration of the book that has really kind of made this come alive for me. And it talks about porcupines that are cold out at night and they huddle together for warmth. However, as they huddle each other for warmth, their porcupines prick each other. So then they separate, right? Because they're in, they, they get, they're pained by the mm-hmm. closeness. So they try to separate themselves. And as they separate, they lose the proximity and the warmth that comes from that. Mm. And that's the whole story. And I think that little allegory is so perfectly exemplifies this not enough, too much dynamic, this how to be close, but also be ourselves. How does closeness create pain? How does distance create pain? And how can we find our identities within relationships without losing ourselves in relationships? So for example, for you and people who are coming out of a a more orthodox or a conservative community, there is now a finding of self, right? And also a finding of self within relationships and all of the things that it has been robbed from you. What does authority mean? Mm -hmm. How do we relate to authority without losing ourselves, right? How do we um, relate without needing to to be different and to be the same, right? Mm -hmm. How can we relate to differences? A lot of orthodox communities, right, really abhor difference. You dress similarly, right? You have to look similar. You have to abide by all these rules. How do we find freedom while also being intimate? So there's all sorts of ways that worthiness is showing up without ever even really talking about worthiness, Mm -hmm. right? That we are negotiating. And as we negotiate and think about relationships, we are in, in in a way tending to our worthiness. We are finding ways to belong within ourselves and within relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so something I'm curious about, I suppose, is on this journey that you see people on. So again, to kind of just relate it to myself, because I feel like yeah. that's an example that I can like work from. And um, so for me, I really focused first and foremost, kind of on that self-regulation piece of things and mm-hmm. you know, finding self first and then starting to build that bridge with others and starting yeah. to, you know, experiment with the relational piece of things. I I feel like that also includes, so I had coaches and therapists and things like that. So in general, I always had some type of relationship to support me on that journey. But maybe the relationship wasn't the emphasis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I'm curious for Mm -hmm. folks listening, do you see that that is a pattern where folks tend to need to focus on one over the other? Does it tend to start with one over the other? I mean, that certainly was also my experience, right? So when I was, you know, healing my my eating disorder, I was also working with a therapist that I worked with for 10 years, uh, but I never, ever thought about the relationship with the therapist. Mm -hmm. I was learning tools. I wanted the tools, thank you. You know, I was doing yoga and meditation and mindfulness, and I delved deep into Buddhism and Hinduism and you know, Christian spirituality. And I was really, I wanted the tools, you know, the breath work, you know, all of those really yummy things, embodiment practices, the worksheets, the work. I wanted the homework, Megan. Like, I love that stuff. CBT, mindset work, all that really is self-containing, but we're changing Mm -hmm. the self. One of the tools that was so profound for me, and I still teach in Worthy Women Rise, is inner child work. Mm -hmm. which is great because you don't need other people, right? You find your own inner child and then Mm -hmm. you relate to that child differently than how you were related to. Obviously it's much more nuanced and complicated than that, but on a whole, right? That's exactly what it is. And you don't need people. And that felt important to me at that Mm -hmm. part of my journey because I didn't trust people. People Mm -hmm. were the reason why I was in pain. I didn't like people. I don't want, I don't want people. (laughs) I want to find a way to be within myself. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's everybody's story. I think right, everybody's healing is different, but it sounds mm-hmm. like your story and my story are very aligned where there was a point in time where that was really important. And that's and that reflected on my teaching and reflected on my work and how I thought and taught. And then and then it got to a point where I feel I felt like I couldn't do more. 
mm-hmm. that now anything more that I was doing was was feeding an inadequacy because yeah. I was trying to feed a hole that can't be filled alone. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find ways to be in relationship. I wanted intimacy. I was starting to long for real long-term meaningful connections, mm-hmm. not just with a significant other, but in terms of friendships and sort of in terms of colleagues. I didn't want to always have to be in conflict, feeling left out, feeling, you know, like I didn't belong, like my stuff was coming with me in every relationship. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the next chapter was to start to really grapple with that. And it was in that, which I'm still in, and maybe for, I don't, I can't predict the future, but it was in this aspect that I started to really deepen my knowledge more of the worthiness wound. So, you know, for people who are listening that may be feeling really overwhelmed, I always tell people, just trust where you are, whatever you're feeling called to learn from, whoever you're feeling called, whoever you follow, whoever you're gravitated towards, whatever book is interesting to you off of the, you know, shelf trust that go with Mm. that you know it will change and evolve and that's good that means that you're growing you know the teachers that were really impactful for me 10 years ago now I look at their work and I'm like ah that doesn't feel useful to me anymore does that mean Mm. that those teachers were wrong or bad no it's evolution it's growth so wherever you are on your healing journey is exactly where you're supposed to be right it's exactly where you can you're you're finding the right people around you but let me tell you what Megan it you know, I had that therapist for 10 years. We concluded our work together. You know, I started working with another therapist and I realized, oh, all that inner child work that I was doing that I felt was self-sufficient. The only way I was able to do that was because I had an example of somebody who was helping me do that. Mm, Yeah. Right. Like I, how would I know how to be different with myself if I'd never have any example of how to be different with myself? Right. Mm -hmm. So even though that therapist and I never really talked about our relationship specifically without even knowing it, she was my model for Mm -hmm. how to be a different mother to myself. 100%. Yeah. It's the mirror. It's the mirroring that you're talking about. Exactly. So even if you're not doing relationship work, you're probably doing relationship work. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's overwhelming for people who don't like people like I was, you know, that's not to scare you, but, but that's essentially with healing, you know, what's changing is the relationship, whether you emphasize that or not. Mm-hmm, 100%, which I feel like also just highlights the value of having, like, if you're unable to, like, depending on where you're at currently, if you're unable to engage in new relationships or just don't find that to be safe yet, the, there's such value in having a support system of some kind in finding we your team of people, your therapist right. or coach or something like that, because like you were saying, without even needing to necessarily talk about that, they can we can't do it possibilities. Alone. Yeah, period. We can't yeah. do it alone. That is that is an outright lie. Speaking of dogma, it is a lie. It is it has never happened and it yeah. won't ever happen. We can't do it alone. Nothing. We can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean Yeah. I mean, we could just go off on cultural things, but we can't do it alone and we shouldn't have to do it alone. Why would we have to do it alone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. I suppose I do have a curiosity there for you. So I've been studying more and like getting more tapped into the concept of ecotherapy and being able to attune to nature and so mm-hmm. on. What are your thoughts around something like that? Like not only relating to other humans, but also yeah. perhaps using animals and trees and water yeah. to be a healing mirror in some ways. Oh, it can be wonderful. I mean, for example, one of the jokes that I recently made with a colleague is like, I I have a magnet on my um, fridge that says the best therapist in this house has four paws and fur, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because my husband and I are both therapists and yet it is our dog that we joke has has the most therapeutic, you know, um, Mm -hmm. because there is something about taking care of an animal about the unconditionality that animal gives us that is so, it's so delicious. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. so healing. It's so wonderful. And I think for people who have been really harmed by other humans, who have no internal roadmap for safety within relationship, nature is a great place to go. Now, I will say um, that there is, I think, a part of what, what nature means 
to us as humans that are different depending on where we are in the world, right? For mm-hmm. some of us, nature feels like something that's out there that we can go to, right? And for some people, nature is everywhere and it's making their lives really difficult. And the idea of them mm-hmm. using nature to heal like wouldn't be acceptable for them. So we do want to think about, you know, yeah. whoever, you know, whoever's listening that the context obviously plays a part in this. But yeah, I think honestly, listen, whatever is resonating, whatever is like soothing that that wound that bond it's like offering something juicy and nourishing and supportive by all means if there's anything that I have learned is that we are each on our own individual process and there's something really unique and beautiful about each of our individual processes and just because it's worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for anybody else there is Mm -hmm. you know a, a body of science and research that can support us in knowing how psychotherapy works for example but if it doesn't work for you it doesn't work for you find something that does no one I think is too hopeless right or or too 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 broken you know none of us are broken but we can find our we can find things that will support us and that will allow us to live whatever life we want to live and if you are feeling called to deepen your relationships and to find ways to feel more worthy, odds are it's going to come out of relationships. But relationship with animals is a great place to be. Mm, Yeah, yeah, I love that. I guess my next question then is, and you've kind of already started sharing this a little bit, but what would be like three empowering tips for folks that you would like to offer that maybe they're wanting to tap into their worth they're wanting to choose their belonging for themselves and kind of begin that that healing process yeah oh tips let's see I think something that can be really useful for people is to um, find spaces to reflect right if we want to start to cultivate a relationship with our inner world if we want to start understanding what's happening within us then we need spaces to reflect on it, whether that's the journaling practice, whether it's therapy or coaching, whether it's, you know, um, some type of mindful movement. I mean, we, again, have an opportunity to find what will work for us. None of these things will work for everybody. But, you know, if we want to do inner healing, we have to carve space to do inner work. Mm, yeah you know can't have it both ways unfortunately sometimes it's nice this fantasy right that I don't have to change and things will change you know yeah. it's like a really really wonderful like, can I just <laughs> like have everybody else change so that I don't have to that would be great thank you uh unfortunately I don't think it works that way so so create you know space to reflect and, and um I will also say something specifically about the worthiness wound is that when when we create space to reflect, what we may find is that we may actually start to hear that voice. And before I start to get too curious about that voice and like what the wordiness is saying, I always ask myself, like, am I hungry? Am I tired? Am mm-hmm. I feeling disconnected from people? Right? Because when I'm hungry, I will have all sorts of ideas in my mind that will Im- immediately change once I am no longer hungry. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. When I get a good night's rest, like how I experience myself in the world changes dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I'm doing something new, if I'm doing something for the first time and I do put myself out there in a new vulnerable way, after the fact, I'm probably going to be more in touch with feelings of inadequacy are too much. And so if we know this, then we can set ourselves up for success, right? That when when we start to carve out space to explore what's happening internally and we're reconciling and noticing that we're being really mean to ourselves, we're feeling really inadequate, we just check in. Like, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Am I tired? You know, am I disconnected from people? Have I been alone for too long? Do I need to connect with somebody? you know, or did I just do something new and vulnerable, et cetera. Okay. So that's number two. And then number three, let's say it's none of those things. Let's say you're just in a space of feeling inadequate. What I, what a little kind of activity, so to speak, a little way that sometimes I can make the worthiness when that feels so big in that moment is just to imagine it embodying something other than me, Mm, right? Like it's, 
it looks like this. It has a name. It has a texture, right? This is an exercise I think we can use for many, many different things inside of us. Again, this is all self-regulating, but it can be useful at times. So, oh my gosh, Sally, the worthiness when they're speaking to me again, right? is much different texture than, oh my God, I'm feeling inadequate, right? Mm-hmm. So when we can kind of depersonalize or, or separate our, who we are from this part of ourselves, yeah. Uh, then we can start to have a little bit more space to think about, oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, what's happening here? You know, why is Sally the worthiness woman coming up right now? You know, what may be here? And mm-hmm. it can make it feel a little bit smaller, more containable, more manageable, so that we can then get more curious about it when we're feeling really flooded and overwhelmed by inadequacy or the sense of brokenness, it, it, it can feel so big that we don't even know what to do and we can collapse in it. So yeah. tip number three, I guess, is just a way that to just be able to give ourselves a little bit of space and distance so that we can we can see what's going on. And then tip number four, may I add a tip, is don't think that you have to do it alone and that there's people that want to help you. There's people out there that want to help you. Yeah. yeah. And you're allowed yeah. to receive that. You're allowed to seek that. And if it didn't work the first time, keep trying. Keep trying mm-hmm. till you find it. You know, don't give up on yourself. Yeah, 100%. I love that. Those are those are so helpful. I really love the kind of personification of the worthiness wound as well. Um, yeah. Like you said, I feel like we can do that with a lot of things, but it's it's so helpful. Um, it can be so helpful, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it, when we get too identified with something, it just completely overwhelms the system. Yeah, I find it to be useful in many different ways. Brain, like the just the, the inner dialogue can just get so chaotic. 100%. And just being able to to create that distance is so helpful. Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. I love that. Something I I remembered what I wanted to say earlier as well. So (laughs) when you were talking about just really finding those spaces to uh, start to heal and to, you know, whether that's, you know, relating to a dog, relating to a person, relating to, you know, nature, so much of that exploration as well, it feels like the worthiness wound journey in some way it's it's essentially kind of like starts with self-trust or it like you have to play with the concept of self-trust um because we are listening to all of these narratives right so we have all these different dominant dogmas all of these internally and external dominant dogmas that we're, we're hearing and so we have to kind of we have to quiet that like you were saying create that space to start to hear ourselves but that yeah. has to act like it's a muscle that we're exercising to hear ourselves, to trust ourselves, Mm -hmm. to say, does this land with me? Do I like working with this therapist? Do I like, you know, is, is relating to my pet more accessible to me versus what I've been told to, to trust and accept. Um, and that was just kind of just what was coming up for me. Some of that. I mean, it's, it's, this is the work Mm -hmm. all of those questions and it's not a destination. It's not a, once I am self a self-trusting you know worthy human then I will be happy you know like (laughs) you know the the pearly gates of happiness is gonna make itself available and then we're never gonna struggle in relationships I mean this is the nitty-gritty work of it is grappling Mm -hmm. with loss and change and trauma and transitions and trust and esteem like self-esteem and confidence and worth and um all of the ways in which we now as an adult have to essentially in many ways undo or redo the things we didn't get Mm, and the ways in which you know we feel like now we are playing out the same pattern over mm-hmm. and over most people who come through my doors you know who who are wanting to work with me that's usually what they'll say i'm noticing that i i'm i'm finding myself in the same place that i found myself in over and over and over again and yeah. nothing's changing nothing's you know it doesn't matter what i do i still finding myself here and mm-hmm. i don't understand what's happening and what the truth of the matter is that there are parts of our minds that we don't even have access to. You know, there's all, there's this idea of the unconscious or there's parts of us that are in conflict with each other that we may not even be aware of. We mm-hmm. don't even know our own minds. How can we then make an expect to trust ourselves when we don't even know who self is? Yeah. And so that is part of the exploration. The more that we can, 
you know, understand ourselves, expand what we know about self, about belonging, about worth, about trust, we start to feel it without having to do, like without having to tell ourselves to trust ourselves. It just starts Mm -hmm. happening. You know, there's something about talking about things that makes things better. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to even be able to understand the process until you're in it. But that's why I'm like, you don't have to do it alone because there's actually something really magical that can happen without us even doing self-trust exercises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love that. That's so, so beautiful. It, the the last thing I wanted to say on this and, and then we can start to, to wrap up is it, it also brings to mind. So I've been doing quite a bit of research just on like neurodivergence and also kind of how mm. that relates to, to autism and, and masking. And I feel like a lot of this conversation is the same too, is it's, we have these narratives that we've accepted and we've kind of masked perhaps our, our true, our true selves mm. in a sense. And when we're in these relationships, like you were saying, we can, we can speak about things and we can start to become aware of perhaps how we've been masking parts of ourselves. And as we pull back those layers, we can, you know, reveal who we actually desire to be in the world. Yeah. Um, but similar to folks who are, are neurodivergent and autistic, masking can cause a, a great deal of hindrance to them knowing themselves, like personal identity mm-hmm. can become mm-hmm. hidden and that was that was something else that kind of came to mind is it it, it mm-hmm. all seems very correlated and connected a hundred percent there's this famous um pediatrician and psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott who kind of theorized about this idea of a false self and a true self right and that uh we get told in all of the ways in which how we are is not acceptable we're kind of being formed and molded into a false self And the false self doesn't always feel false. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like we're bad or that we're different. It just feels like something's off. But we really, in many ways, identify with the false self. No, this is how I It's become who we are, yes. It's become, (laughs) we no longer see it as a mask. It is now an identity. Mm -hmm. Um, This is all, like, I was taught growing up that I'm very stubborn and I don't let things go. So I came into therapy saying, I want to learn how to let things go. You know, I haven't even tattooed on my body. Let it go. Before, by the way, the movie came out and then that just really (laughs) fucked me up. But anyway, so that was my problem, Megan. I needed to learn how to let things go. I was too stubborn, right? I Mm. believed that that is who I am. I am stubborn. And it took a lot of work for me to learn. Actually, I don't have a problem with letting things go. If my emotions are still existing, still alive within me, it's because something hasn't been worked through. Hmm. Like mind blown. Like I, it it was so slowly to emotionally understand that when our emotions are sticky, when they're not moving, it's because something's not being worked through Hmm. and we don't have to demand them to go. We can continue to meet them. And in that meeting, something will be let go, right? So there's a lot of this, I think, ideas. There's a lot of ways in which the self-help, the self-development kind of world makes us think, oh, this is my problem. Mm. My problem is that I don't think positive enough, right? Mm -hmm. My problem is I don't let things go. This, my problem is that this, I'm, I need to fix this. Mm. And this is the problem, right? That's getting in my way. I'm asking, we identify as this is it. And yeah. then when we start to understand ourselves and expand the language that we can use for our internal world, we start to see that actually maybe that's not who we are, but that's how mm. we learned we had to be. I had to yeah. hold on to emotions because nobody was listening to it the first time it came up. If I didn't hold on to it, nobody would pay attention to them. Mm. So I've had to hold. I had to hold for people who refused to hold. Yeah. Right now I can have a different relationship with emotions, letting go, holding on. Right now there's so much more space for me to understand and decipher why I'm holding on to something in a relationship, why I'm still upset at my husband for doing that thing. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. not because I need to let it go. Maybe it's because there's something more to talk about, to explore, to understand. But yeah. I'm not stubborn. I'm human, right? So, so that or and Megan, we can also find oh, there is maybe some stubbornness, right? Maybe mm-hmm. there is. Maybe I am stubborn in some ways, and maybe I don't have to hate myself so hard for the ways in which I'm stubborn. 
and yeah. there's that that yeah. goes into this too. Totally. Kind of like holding the both and in that, just really noticing. A hundred percent. Maybe there's nothing there and maybe there's a little bit too. And, and we can get yeah. out of both of those things. And Exactly. And that we, we don't know until we're in it and we're, yeah. we're grappling with it. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think you exploring neurodivergence and exploring um, kind of how masking applies not only to um, autistic people, but mm-hmm. maybe also in many ways, all of us do it to an yeah. extent as a way to fit in, as a way mm-hmm. to find to earn our belonging <laughs> to earn our belonging because we needed to belong yeah. attachment is so critical to our yeah. well-being we will give up so much of our internal world if it mm-hmm. means surviving and isn't yeah. that so incredible that we do this as humans the resilience mm-hmm. in the human nature we will find ways to survive and yeah. that maybe now as adults we get to go beyond survival and we get to go to thriving. I love that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a beautiful place as well to, to wrap up. We get to step yeah. into, into thriving and, um, mm-hmm. and into, to freedom. Like you said, as we get to know ourselves, we get to become more free and, yeah. um, yeah, the, this podcast is called live your freedom now. And I feel like for me that also, it, it is just like also choosing that freedom for ourselves as we're doing this, like you had said before, it's, there's not a destination. And so how can we find those little bits of freedom for ourselves now and recognize that, that we're human and it's okay. Yeah. And this yeah. is all where we can step into that thriving as we're on this, this exploration. So mm-hmm. a couple wrap up questions for you, if you're open. To okay. It. So what is one way that you slow down amidst our busy world? Mm-hmm. Walking my dog, bringing ourselves back to eco therapy. I think there's so there's something so unrelenting about his needs, right? He needs his walk mm-hmm. every day. I shouldn't even say the W word because he's right here. But <laughs> slowing down, taking care of him, being outside with him, I think it's been a really important part, particularly during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then, who are a couple of humans that you deeply admire, or folks that you're currently learning from? Oh my goodness. Well, I am kind of immersed in a very niche, uh, specific world of psychoanalytic psychotherapy. And so any humans that I mentioned there probably won't be known by the general public, but maybe I'll go very cliche with this answer and say my, myself, I mean, is that cliche? Is that narcissistic? What am I doing here? Yeah, no, I, think I right love now, it. I love it. <laughs> my, 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 the main person that I'm learning the most from is my own internal world. I think that's my, mm. my big focus and something that, you know, is helpful to, for us to think about as we're grappling with things like inadequacy is really noticing how often we try to use other people's voices to find our own. That has definitely yeah. been something that I've grappled with and how I lose myself and trying to find myself in other people's voices. Maybe mm. that's the way that I'm kind of defending my my narcissistic answer there, but. No need to defend it. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then how can we find and support you online? I know I briefly shared kind of at the top of the episode, but I'd love to circle back. Yeah, you can go to my my website, taisky.com, where I am taisky.com. You can follow me on Instagram. That's typically where I hang out. I have a podcast called Reclaim. Um, And I think those are the big places. Yeah, my Instagram tends to be where I'm most active and I love connecting with people. So come find me there and come hit me up. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you again for this wonderful conversation. Um, thank I think you. I went into just such beautiful places, so I really appreciate it. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for joining me for another Live Your Freedom Now podcast episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I'm always so grateful for a five-star rating, and you can learn more about me, my work, and download my free Claim Your Freedom Now journal guide and ecotherapy meditation at megscolleen.com. That's M-E-G-S-C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com. I'll see you next time, and as always, freedom is yours.